Welcome to week one of the Sphera series here at the database with Rabbi Yeshua Eisenberg, where the goal for this shear is really to come up with some practical exercises that we can do and at least be attentive to in this period of Sphera Saomer, which we know at least Al Pidrash is the lead up to Kabbalah Satora, and Al Pisod is. Um, permeated by the goal of Tikkun Hamidos based on the Spheros. And so since I'm definitely not close to being an expert in the Kabbalistic aspect, at the very least we could focus on the personal growth aspects of Spheros Omer. And I thought that would be something that would be good for all of us, um, for myself included, um, to focus on during this time and during this slot. And so we could have seven weeks, um, you know, so which would mean seven shiurim to this series, all revolving around, I would say the two goals would be you know, being conscious of and trying to apply the different midos that are reflected by the seven spheros, um, which how they manifest themselves in connection to Hashem himself, that's something that in a certain sense is beyond us, though they are anthropomorphic, they are to give Hashem a human face for the purpose of our understanding of, of him. But at the very least, as the meditation in Sphiris Omer suggests, so we can at least try to apply personal tikkunim by working on these different areas. So we're going to try to identify what these are in human terms so that we can understand how we can work on ourselves as part of our preparation for Kabbalah Satora. And the other preparation would be the preparation of the Kinyan Torah. We want to eventually acquire the Torah at the end of this process. So, Be'ezras Hashem, I wanted to also focus on the different Kinyanim that we find in the sixth chapter or the pseudo-chapter um, of Pirkei Avos, um, with the um, and the sixth um, brisa in that chapter, which um, has all the Kinyane Torah. So, with that said, we'll go right in after we first thank our sponsor, who is sponsoring Yulei Nishmas Shmuel Menachem and Ari Leib and Leah Bas Avram, whose Nishamas should have the greatest of Elias. Okay, so let's now go into the first week of Sphira. In our Real Talk Torah on the topic of Sphiris Omer, we spoke about the different layers of Sphiris Omer in terms of the, you know, the agricultural connection, the halachic historical aspect of Sphiris Omer, and of course the trek towards Kabbalah Satora, and we, we've obviously alluded to the Kabbalistic aspect, which is something that anyone who knows anything about Kabbalah knows about the Sphiros, the very least they know about, you know, that, the, that there is this concept. So um, one thing that I had glossed over is the other aspect of mourning of Sphiris Omer, which at first glance is only coincidentally connected to the, you know, is only coincidentally connected to everything else that we do during Sphiris Omer, whether it's the trek towards Kabbalah Satora or it's the agricultural aspect. But I want to argue as we meditate on the different aspects of Sphira Somer that we're going to talk about now. So we'll see that 
Um, it might be more than coincidentally connected, but in fact, there's something intrinsic that we need to see there. Why um, this period, which is also the mourning period for the 24,000, um, 24, 2400, 2400 um, students of uh, Rabbi Akiva, you know, it's, it's the 24,000, 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva. So why this period um, is not just coincidentally connected to Sphere Salmer, but it's intrinsically connected. So there's what to discuss when we consider the first week of Sphere Salmer being the week of Chesed, the week of kindness, or at least that's how it's often translated. Some might use and prefer the translation loving kindness or acts of loving kindness. So Chesed um, seems to be you know the very first step. And Chesed really connects, if you want to connect it back to Hashem, Hashem created the world, as we say in Parsha Panorama very often, based on the Ramchal and other Mikubalim, that Hashem created the world in order to give. Um, and that, that, that was the first step. Hashem wanted to give. Now we're going to see that Chesed alone does not work, even to give the ultimate good. And this we spoke about in Parsha Panorama as well. Hashem couldn't just give, but he had to withhold, and he had to put stipulations, and he had to create obstacles. And we'll see that this is one of the things that we have to think about when we, th- when we consider how we want to put chesed into practice. I remember um, a long time ago, someone tried to make the argument to me, and I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast, that um, you know, they, you know, they try to make a mitzvah out of having physical contact with their, um, you know, with, with their girlfriend or with their boyfriend. That, listen, I'm making another Jew feel good, so it must be that it's a mitzvah. And you might call that a chesed, right? And this is actually, this, this concept did not just start from the narshkite of this individual that I was arguing with all those years ago, um, but it started from a concept in, the, in, in, um, in, really in scripture, we have a pasuk, olam chesed yibane. I believe it's a pasuk in Yeshayahu. Um, if not, it's a pasuk in Tehillim. Someone can let me know at the database at gmail.com. That's the and data, then base, B-E-I-S, at gmail.com, the same place to offer a sponsorship if you want to make a dedication um, and, you know, for the purpose of the Harbatzis Torah that we do here. But we have that famous pasuk of Olam Chesed Yibane, that Chesed builds the world. And I say this is what, and the, the act of, of incest in the Chumash is described as Chesed, and the, the, the Midrashim say that yes, because Hashem allowed Chesed for the purpose of building the world, that Cain, for example, was allowed to marry his own sister, and only when it came to building the world, where that was what they needed at the time, Hashem allowed such a thing, but such Chesed nowadays is not. So there can be unbridled Chesed, where there's too much Chesed, right? And any you know, act of Isser, which makes another person feel good, might be in the category of that kind of a chesed. You know, talking about how love wins out, you know, love trumps hate, and, you know, love should beat everything else out. So we think of chesed as something that um, is all good, and it's definitely what we might call positive, but but it's not necessarily balanced. So, you know, when you think of how chesed applies to the other spheres. We mentioned in the introductory share that um, you know each week has all of the seven spheres, right? So there's chesed 
um, that is, um, you know, it's the first week, you know, the first day of, of Svir Somer, which is really the second night of Pesach, is Chesed Sheba Chesed. And Pesach itself is very intrinsically connected to Chesed. Everything Hashem did to us was undeserved Chesed. But then the second day of Svir Somer, which is day three, is Gvura of Chesed. And the next day is going to be Tferis of Chesed. So when we think of Gvura of Chesed, there has to be some kind of overlap between the Chesed aspect and the Gvura. Now, I don't want to spend too much time talking about this topic because then we're really getting over into Gvura. But to understand which part of us is supposed to be the, 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 the Chesed part, the part of us that wants to just give to other people. There's something to be said. Yes, there has to be a balance. And that's why we have all of the seven spheros. Um, which are really just, for us, there are different kinds of midos that we want to try to apply to our lives. That said, the place for the chesed, there should be a lot of it. Um, you know, to the extent that we're able to give it, or it should be at least the wanting, the wanting to give as much chesed to other people as we can. You know, sometimes we have our own personal reasons to withhold, when it, let's say tzedakah. And there are halachos to how much tzedakah you're supposed to give. But where you are supposed to give... There's a right and wrong way to do it. And a chesed person is someone who's going to give as much as they possibly can. They want to completely give of themselves. And in this vein, when we think about applying chesed, something that's really important, my Rabbi Yonason Sachs says this a lot, not necessarily in connection to Sefer Omer, but he does say this in connection to the concept of chesed that we find, and we've mentioned this in previous podcasts as well, that it's, you know, that, that, that there are two um, drushas in the Gemara that are very similar. Um, two different Gemaras, two different um, 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 Balmemras. On the one hand, in the Gemara and Shabbos on Kuflam at Gimel, Abishaul says that we learn from Zekhelivyan Vehu that just like, um, just like Hashem is. He's merciful, you too should be merciful. Just like he's giving, you too should be giving. He's slow to anger, you should be slow to anger. And yet we have a separate Gemara in Sota, in Daf Yedalir, where Chamab Rabbi Hanina says, we learn from the Pasuk of Achare Hashem Telechu, that we learn that just like Hashem gives clothing to the naked, you should give clothing to the naked. Just like Hashem um, does um, an act of Bikr Cholam, you should also do Bikr Cholam. And so the question is, what's the connection between these two, um, you know, these two ma'amarim from Chazal, that there's following Hashem's example, doing certain things, and then there's following Hashem's midos and doing certain midos. And my Rebbe suggested that the basic difference is one is about actions that you do and one is about the being, the person that you are. So you can do acts of chesed, but you're not necessarily going to be a bal chesed, a person who is a chesed person. Our goal in these tikkun amidos is to work on ourselves, to become people who want to do chesed. Meaning, you know, you can give the person tzedakah and you can do it in a way that makes them feel like garbage. And you can do it in a way that, you know, honestly makes the mitzvah to you feel like garbage, that you don't actually appreciate doing this. You're just doing it as a burden. A chesed person is someone who wants to give. What the limits are, we can discuss the limits. But the yearning, the, the, the wanting to be able to give, that's something that comes from being metakein ourselves from all the pagamin that we might have um, in this area of chesed. But obviously what we see from the concept of spheros 
is that you know you want to have ingrained each one, but you also want to be balanced. So, you know, just for example, if we're going to try to apply every single one of the other spheros to chesed, it means that chesed, let's say, is the goal. This is the week that I want to ingrain in myself the midah of chesed. But there are checks and balances. So that means that when you're up to gevura of chesed, you want to say, what can I, you know, use gevura for, for the sake of chesed? So I, I kind of think of it as tough love. Sometimes there are things that you want to do to give to your child or to give to your student or to give to whomever, but without you know, the gevura, um, you know, you're not going to properly be able to give the chesed. So you, if you want to give love, sometimes you need tough love, and really it's for the best of the child. And the same thing with people in general. And when you're looking at teferis of chesed, so teferis usually is where you find the confluence, the perfect balance of chesed and gevura. So you, um, you, when, you're, when you're doing teferis of chesed, you're thinking, what teferis, I, um, I guess, can I employ for the sake of chesed? Um, and I'm, I'm not sure if chesed shebe gevura and gevura shebe chesed are the same thing that you'll have to, um, I guess, refer to your local Orthodox Kabbalist. Um, or anyone who you know who knows um, and has studied on the topic, but there is what to be said about that as well. Now, um, while we're thinking about applying, um, you know, things into our lives to properly hone the midah of chesed and to ingrain it and to and to develop it, I wanted to also shift gears to focus on the Kenyane Torah that apply to this first week, the week of Chesed. It's something that happens to be that every year I consider doing it, and since I'm so consumed by Pesach topics around this time of year, you know, it's always too late, um, or at least I think of it as being too late, to consider um, that, that, uh, that sixth brysa in, um, in, in, in Kenyan Torah, um, but we can really apply all of the different exercises that are listed there. So here's um, the, the seven that the, the week of Chesed gives us. So again, if you go to Pirkei Avios, you go to, you go to the sixth chapter, which is really the brysis that were appended to the original five prakim. So we have this sixth parak. And in the sixth brysa, or you might think of it as the sixth mishnah of that chapter, um, there's, a, there's a whole um, section that talks about the 48 special ways to acquire the Torah. What does uh, um, acquiring Torah come with? What do you have to do to properly acquire Torah? So the first of those acquisitions is the most basic might even be considered to be the most broad, but it's something that you have to do. The first one on the list is Talmud, right? So the the Brisa says, Great is the Torah, much more than Kahuna, than, than priesthood, and Minamalchus. Um, right? We know that there are three crowns listed in, in I think, the fourth chapter of Pirkei Avos. So there's the Keser Torah, Keser Kuna, Keser Malchus, and there's the Keser Shem Torah, which is even greater than those. Fine. But... There's um, the, the um, so we say that the Torah is greater than Kuna and Malchus. There are thirty prerogatives, thirty advantages of um, um, that come with with Malchus. 
Be Esrim Arba. We have twenty-four that come with being Kohen. Mefarshim discuss what these are, but the Torah we say about Torah Nikneis Arba Mushmona Tvarim Ve'Eluhin. The first one for Torah is Betalmud. Talmud is the first um, skill. It's the first treasure that comes with Torah. It's the first treasure that leads you to the acquisition of Torah. It's Talmud. It's learning. Now, I think we have a great advantage that on Seder night, the Seder night is consumed with words of Torah. We spoke about how it's not necessarily what you think of as Divrei Torah per se, but it is the story of Sipur Yitzhak Mitzrayim. But the whole purpose is to get you to Torah, to get you, to, it's, it's all about a learning experience. And the first thing you ought to do if you want to acquire any Torah is to make the time and actually engage in the effort, engage in the endeavor, engage in the practice of Torah study. So the first thing you can do for yourself if you want to know Torah, if you want to acquire Torah, not just to know it intellectually, but to have it at your fingertips, to have it on the tip of your tongue, is you gotta just you just gotta just do it. Talmud. Okay, so that's the first. Now the second one uh, might might be harder if we think of it from the aspect of chesed. So, right, so the first one can be, you know, the, the, the chesed of just giving that time to the Torah. If we think of the second one as gvur chesed, so it's a little bit of withholding. The next, the second one is shmias ozen. Shmias ozen literally means the listening with the ear. Meaning, in order to really acquire Torah, it's not enough just to engage in the effort, but you have to give your ear to it. That might mean that if you're listening to a shir, maybe it means also that you have to verbalize and articulate the Torah so that you can hear it. But the point is that it has to enter your ears. If you're discussing with someone else, the words that they are saying should get, go into your ears. You should not just be nodding off and just, you know, or, or even pretending that you're being attentive. you got to be attentive. You have to meditate not just on your own ideas, but on the ideas that are being spoken to you. Sometimes you can, re- you can read the topics of Torah, you can learn the topic, and the Torah will be saying whatever you wanted it to say and not what it was actually saying. Sometimes, you know, you could be reading the Rishonim. I think every, every guy in yeshiva have went through this. I know I have, where you're learning the Rishonim, and all of a sudden you think that all the Rishonim are saying the exact same thing. Because for simplicity, you would love for that to be the case, because you just learn Rashi. It'd be great if Tosos and the Ritva and the Ran are all saying the same thing, and you have perfect harmony, but they're actually having a machlokas. Are you listening to what they are saying? Or are you not listening to what they are saying? Are you only hearing what you want to hear? So you have, on the one hand, Talmud is the first one. The second exercise is Shmias Ozen. And again, we're only going to do the first seven for this week of Chesed. Okay, so number three um, is Arichas Svasayim, which the art scroll translates as articulate speech. Arichas literally means the arrangement of, Svasayim means the lips. At the precise moment of this recording, we are on day three of the Omer, and this would be today's exercise, Arichas Fasaim. Now, what exactly does that refer to? It's, it's not so clear, but we could think about what that might mean, that you have to have the speech articulated. So that could mean, similar to what we just said a moment ago for, for Shmes Ozen, that you have to verbalize the Torah that you're saying. But I think more, Arichas Fasaim, also, you know, you might think it also has to do with the Torah being on the tip of your tongue, but I think something that's very important, which you find, which is um, actually even rare among Magidei Shirim sometimes. Some Magidei Shir, they might, you know, you can tell that they know the topic, but a good Magid Shir knows how to deliver the topic. He knows how to 
literally arrange the topic verbally to have the eloquence to be able to give over the Torah. And you'll find often that there's a marked difference between a person who's able to give over the Torah and the person who's not able to give over the Torah that each one has learned. And in fact, really, if you want to be able to be an expert at any Torah topic, the best thing you can do for yourself is give a share on it and see how well you can actually give it over to others. Can you articulate it? Do you know your terms? Are you familiar with the terms? And do you actually have real clarity in the topic, the subject matter that you're teaching about? Do, and, and this is something that my Rabbi Rav Yonason Sachs, who does not need my haskama, but anyone who's ever listened to him knows that he has the arichas svasayim, that he has not just the marmakomos and the expertise in every Torah topic that he gives on, but he has it arranged. He has it with a, with a, with a perfect, seamless, um, a harmonious, um, a full gamut of everything he wants to say, how he wants to phrase it, and, the, and he's very particular about his words. And there, there isn't an extra word that he says. Every word that he says is, is completely measured. You know, this is very rare, but you find every now and then Magide Shir who are like this. Um, you know, regardless of what they know on the topic, but whatever they do know on the topic, the way they give it over um, is, is perfectly arranged. So that's, that's something to think about in, in this area. And you might have some of your own Magide Shir in mind. That, 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 they, that they have this particular skill of arichas svasayim. Now, number four is binas halev, which art scroll translates, uh, translates as intuitive understanding of the heart. And bina, we know, often refers to that intuition. But it's not just, you know, it's, we're not talking about instincts. We're talking about um, an intuition on a topic. So, for example, there is something that I've heard referred to as halachic intuition, that even if I don't have the sources in front of me, or even if my Rebbe is not in front of me, I have a good idea of what the sources would say about it. Um, this could be, but is not necessarily um, related to the topic of Das Torah, where a Chacham, an Adam Gadol, a Talmud Chacham says something in a Torah topic, or, or gives a, a, a psak off the cuff. And maybe they don't give a psak, but they have a leaning. They have an atiyah towards a certain halachic conclusion. And they might not be able to tell you who said it, where they said it. And they might even tell you that they have to look up the source again and look up various sources and consult others. But they have a fair understanding of what someone's going to say on this topic. Right? I, my Rebbe's not in front of me, but I know that my Rebbe would say this. Or... I, you know, I, I don't know for sure what the halacha says, but based on my intuitive understanding of these other sources that might be related to the matter, I know how to discern from one thing to the other, and I know how to extrapolate from one topic to another. Whenever we talk about bina, as opposed to da'as or chachma, you could have raw knowledge, you could have raw material, and then you can have material that I'm extrapolating from other material, from pre-existing schema um, uh, in, my, in my brain, uh, or based on the givens, based on what I have, I can extrapolate to something else. That's something that you need um, Binas Halev for. So once you've given the time to learning, once you've actually listened to what the sources are saying, once you've been able to articulate it into words with your lips, you can also have this intuitive understanding, and that's number four. Now, the next one is Sichlus Halev. Now, this is, this is a little bit harder because now we are, um, this sounds, um, art school translates this as discernment of the heart. And 
the, I guess the question is, what's the difference between Binas Halev and Sichlus Halev? So, again, art school translated the first of those two. Binas Halev is intuitive understanding. Sichlus, it, it said, is discernment. So, if, um, you know, not knowing that much, um, you know, better, if or if I didn't know better, I would say that the one is more of the positive, one is more of the negative, right? Um, Sichlus is often associated with common sense. Bina is often associated with, as we said, and it's in the translation here, as intuition. You know, women are known to have stronger Bina. They have, um, I don't know if I would call it an instinct, but they have a knack of some sort for, um, you know, it's like a higher instinct. It's almost like a, it's almost like a, uh, like a fifth sense in a certain sense um, to, to what the right answer about something might be. And it comes, but I think Bina is, is really um, in connection to extrapolating from something that you know already. Whereas Sichlus is not just common sense, but when we talk about discernment, so this actually connects back to what we said earlier about how... Na- Avadi Moshe is very happy to be here. Um, but this connects back to the idea that not every Rishon is necessarily saying the same thing. Not every case is the same case. We talk about discernment. Discernment means um, the difference between X and Y. Whereas Bina is, here's where X and Y are similar, and I should apply what I said by X to Y. The Sichlus Halev might tell us that here's where X and Y are different, and this is why I should not apply um, the principle that we find by X to this other case, which is Y. And, and, and sometimes that comes from common sense. Um, but you find that often in the Gemara, where the Gemara will um, have one case, and it'll quote two shitos, and then there'll be another case, and then the Gemara will quote two other shitos, and the Gemara will ask the question, hey, isn't this shita in this machlokas the same as the shita in this machlokas? Aren't they really all one shita? And then the Gemara will will push that suggestion away. It'll reject it and say, no, but these two cases are really different. And this shita can even agree with the seemingly not similar shita in the other case. Which is, and it is because these two cases are not parallel. They're actually different. They might be similar, but they're not identical. And so someone with Sikhlet Halev will be able to identify that. Okay, so we did. So we just did Talmud, Shemesa Ozen, Arichas Fasayim, Binas Halev, Sikhlet Halev. We have two more for, for today. We have, um, the, so number six is Ema. Number seven is going to be Yira. So what, what are the differences between these two? And what, what can we learn um, in trying to apply Ema and Yira? So before we answer that question, I think we could take a step back um, and try to once again see if in our own minds we could understand how to possibly apply the Midos of the Spheros to each of these seven. Because again, each um, set of seven is going to be a full Chesed, Gevurah, Teferas, Netzachod, Yisod, Malchus that could possibly be applied to each one. If we assume that the Kinyane Torah are connected to the Spheros, so then there, there would be a connection there. So we explained how maybe Talmud is the giving of the time, that would be the Chesed, the Shemiasa Ozen, is the part where you're not speaking, but you're listening, you're withholding yourself, and you're minimizing, right, this would be the Gevura aspect, that you're minimizing your own understanding to try to hear what the other is saying. Maybe the balance of that, the Teferis, might be the Arichas Vasayim, where you can now articulate that which... Um, you you have heard and given your time to, 
Maybe Binas Halev can connect to Netzach somehow. We'll have to talk later what Netzach is. It's a very difficult one. Um, but well, we could translate it basically as endurance. Sichlas Halev um, can maybe connect to Hod, which is often associated with submission. The next two, again, are Ema and Yira. Now, Ema um, is often... Tra- they, these are both different words for fear. But Ema usually refers to... Um, like an, an actual fear that you receive from something that's up close. I believe Rashi and Az Yashir differentiating between Ema and Pachar, both words which I believe come up in our, our Yamam Narayim davening. But uh, Ema usually refers to the fear of something that's in front of you. Pachar is the dread that you fear even from a distance. But Ema, um, Art Scroll says here, awe of God, and by Yira it says reverence towards one's teacher. Now, I don't know um, necessarily, and it could be, you know, I, I don't believe Art Scroll just made this up. It could be there's some version that this Art Scroll statement is based off of. But what I would say is, when we think about Ema, right, the, it was some, we, we might think of this also as the Yiras Haromamus, the, 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 the fear of the loftiness of what you're engaging in. Part, perhaps, of the, of, of the Esod of Talmud Torah, right, the foundation, is an overall aim of the, the task that you are engaging in. You know, when it comes to the Seder, for example, um, it, it's brought down in Halacha that you recline at, when, you're, when you're drinking the Dalad Kosos, right? There's a joyousness, there's a, there's a regalness, there's a royalty, and yet when you actually recite the Magid, so the, the Halacha brings down that you, you recite it with Ema, that I'm engaging in this process. Torah is not something that you do while you're relaxing. Um, I, I once uh, saw someone who was knitting while while you know listening to a shear. I mean, listen. Uh, I, I guess you know the the, the would say that whatever you can do, you know, you find time for Torah anywhere, even when you're you know Torah anytime, <laughs> even when you're when you're engaged in other practices. Okay, but part of the kinyone Torah, if you want to really be kona, is you have to have an ema for what you are doing. That it's right in front of me, and I feel that Hashem is in front of me as I'm doing this. That is one of the apparently the fundamental, foundational um, Kinyane Torah. Then, if that's true, then what is Yira? So, Yira, um, which again, there are different kinds of Yira. There's Yira's Romus, there's Yira's Onish, there's Yira's Chait, right? Fear of the sin itself, or the fear of the punishment for sin. So, Onesh is the punishment, Chait is the sin itself. But usually, when we talk about Yira, most of the understand. That yira is something that you have for Hashem, and it's about the consequences of your relationship with Hashem. It's not that I'm going to be punished, and uh, but the, 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 it comes from the understanding that my actions have consequences. Here, Art Squirrel is saying it's a yira for your teacher, so we do know that the Pasuk says, Es Elohim yira. And the Gemara, um, it's actually Gemara Psachim that we just had um, from Shimon Hamsuni. Right, he who darshaned every S in the Torah. So this was on Daf Chav Beis and Psachim. Thank you to Zichru, um, the Zichru program. But um, the the idea um, is that when we learn that fear of Hashem also entails fear of the Talmidei Chachamim. When we talk about fear, we mean an awe for their words. I would argue, and I would venture to say that when we talk about Ema, we are talking about the fact that God is in front of you when you are learning the Torah, that you are hearing the words of God, that you are engaging in the speech and understanding of the intellectual, quote-unquote, mind of Hashem. Yira 
is in, in this case is referring to the awe and reverence that we have for the Talmidei Chachamim, if we're going to go with art scroll, for the Talmidei Chachamim who are giving over these words, it's, it's a basic respect and understanding of the consequences that you're not just, yes, you are engaging in a very lofty and scary subject, that's Ema, you know, that you're standing before Hashem. Yira is that whatever you're going to learn, there will be consequences to that learning. That you have to have a respect, not just for the authorities who are giving over the Torah, but recognize that these topics have real-life consequences. If they're saying something in halacha, you have to be very careful. If you're going to draw a halacha conclusion, if someone is going to give you a halacha conclusion about what you are saying, maybe this somehow relates to the midah of the final sphera of malchus. How so? We can talk about it, but maybe the idea of the malchus of of your of of the per, of the one who's giving over the Torah, the Talmud Chacham is often compared to a melech. Um, maybe the uh, the idea that anyone who has this balance of yira, he understands not just that he, that he's engaging in a very lofty and heavenly and uh, quite frankly a scary subject, but he's also engaging in a subject not just with the romanos of it, but the consequential aspect of it, the yira. The recognition that there is something real to what he's doing here. There are real life consequences to the Torah that he learns, to that the conclusions that he will draw from his learning, and therefore these are a bunch of um, you know different aspects to think about. So hopefully in this week of Chesed we have um, plenty to work on in terms of our application of the Kinyane Torah and our thoughts and meditations on how to apply the Midas Chesed in the appropriate way. So with that, you know, I, I hope you know, this can be a week of growth. And hopefully if you enjoyed the series, you can continue with us next week when we venture into the Sphira of Gevura and the next seven Kinyane Torah. But in the meantime, that was Talmud, Shmias Ozan, Arichas Fasayim, Binas HaLev, Sichlas HaLev, Ema, and Yira. Okay. Well, um, you know, you're you're encouraged to join us next time. But until then, thank you for joining us at the Spira series, and thank you for joining us here at the database.